90.3 FM, KEXP in Seattle. I'm Kevin Cole, and joining me in the live room, it's Chris. Take it away. Let go, let go, let go. 
Chris. such a jam. That is Girlfriend. <laughs> Thank you. It's Chris live on KEXP from the album. Chris, you heard Girlfriend and Come See. Mm. And uh, man, welcome to KEXP. Thank you so much for uh, having us here. It is so great having you here. The album is fantastic. Merci. Uh, came out in September and uh, you released the album Chris. You also at that time adopted a new name, Chris, as opposed mm-hmm. to Christine and the Queens. Mm-hmm. So um, is there something liberating? Is there a freedom in, in uh, shedding one name for another? 
Yeah, there is definitely something liberating in in the idea that you keep on choosing. Because because I think in the art space there is a softness when you choose to exist the way you want to exist. So I think me choosing a stage name eight years ago with Christine was the first really liberating choice I made. And actually Chris is more like, um, of course it's a bit shedding shedding some skin away because it's so, it's lighter. But it's it's also the nickname of Christine. It's like the short the shorter version, uh, the more efficient way to call me abruptly if you want. There is a sense of a. Uh, uh, weird intimacy that comes with the nickname I really loved. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to get to know somebody a, a certain amount of time or feel comfortable when you, when, in personal relationships, when you shift to calling them by their nickname. Right, yeah. And then that, that uh, designates sort of a different uh, moment in that relationship. Exactly. It was exactly about that also. I think, for me, the second album was a bit like... You can even see in the album artwork there is something a bit more frontal. There is eye contact and it's me... Um, trying to pull the listener a bit closer to uh, to to me, you know, and and it felt more like a way to to um, shield myself even less and to actually expose myself a bit more. And and I think uh, listeners, your fans, really appreciate that. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, they they very very much connect with you personally. Ah, that uh, I, I think the the messages of the song. So is the album then a new chapter uh, uh, for you, creatively and personally? Yeah, I think it was. It was um, the album is a resonance of a of a new moment. Um, it, it almost feels like a picture of where I'm at now, and it, I mean you can see there are like the same obsessions from the first to the second record. There are like obvious links, but I think this this Chris is so much more about eroticism and desire, and um, and some kind of experimentation that. I couldn't have done on Chaleur Humaine. Like the first record, Christine and the Queens, the first record was more like a dreamer album. It feels like a chamber record. And I'm and I'm dreaming a lot and I'm longing to relate. And and the second one, I mean, um, even if I fail, there is a sense of me being out in the open and trying to relate by grabbing people, touching them, being touched. And so there is a sense of physicality that is way more blatant for me. And it, because in my life, it became more like that also. I, I kind of felt more comfortable to try. Yeah, that's reflected in the lyrics, but definitely in the music as well, because yeah. the music is much more uh, dancey, I guess, mm, right? Definitely. Poppy and, uh, and raw in that way. Yeah. Um, how much risk is there in, in sort of a name change? There is a risk factor, yeah. But I mean, did you think about that? Did that yeah. concern you at all? But it didn't concern me, mainly... I wanted to. It, 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 it excited me. Yeah. I'm being fresh, I'm stammering. But yeah, there was a sense of... Uh, I do love the idea of taking risks. Actually, I think it's a huge part of what I do. I don't know if it's obvious for people, but uh, when I began with, with Christine and the Queens, um, six years ago, I was doing like openings for other artists and I, I had just my laptop with me and I was just a bit... You know, I was throwing myself out a bit and I was dancing a lot. In France, actually, when it was not so fashionable to dance and people were like, how come you feel so comfortable exposing yourself that much? And I was like, I do like the risk of it. Yeah. And I think there is a sense of, um, it, was not, it was not a gimmick also. It felt natural to try to, um, to shed a bit of that skin. It felt comfortable. I, I'd rather take a, a risk if it's artistically um, coherent than just uh, trying to preserve something that worked, you know? And there was a sense of like, you know, it feels, it feels like I have to, do that, so let's try it. But there was definitely a risk of losing some people, probably. 
Yeah, there's, there's a, a great David Bowie quote where he gives advice to young artists and he talks about how uh, artists should never actually play to their audience or play to the gallery. They should always be putting themselves in the position where they feel mm. uh, like they're in the deep end about ready to drown perhaps, so, mm. you, you know, in a scary moment because that's that moment where you are inspired to create. Well, I, I mean... It's hard not to agree with Bowie, but yeah. on that one, it feels really relevant. There is a there is a sense of uh, yeah of um, danger that I really lo love, and it's and it's interesting because at some point it got. I mean, on the first record, I was lucky enough to have that record having a fantastic life that was beyond expectations because I didn't think of doing anything mainstream or commercial because I don't think it's like mathematic and you cannot think of it. Yeah, you weren't calculated and you were making music. Nobody knew yeah. who you were really. Yeah, and I think people on the second record maybe sometimes expected me to preserve that or maybe to um, dwell on that or maybe take that uh, what worked and reproduce it. And I was like, actually, it doesn't make, make any sense to me. There is a sense of exploration. So, I mean, it was a risk, but it, it's... It's paying off because I enjoy taking it. Yeah. It make, makes me feel alive. And, uh, and, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. That's what listeners feel too. They pick <laughs> up on that. And you, you know, you talk about dancing when it wasn't fashionable, but that's, yeah. uh, do, you, do you feel that when you, when you go there, for example, with dancing, then that gives people uh, you know, an opportunity to do it themselves. Like then they mm. can be free and they can be liberated. They, you know, they get inspired. I mean, that would be wonderful. I, I, I do love the idea to be a hint of something. Yeah. I don't know what I can be, but the idea of, you know, unlocking something somewhere. And maybe, yeah, I mean, I do, I do believe in, in dance as a contagious factor, as something that calls for like more liberation and warmth. I definitely do use that dancing f for myself like that. There is a sense of acceptance also. Well, you, you, when you dance, you're incredibly powerful. It's almost hard to imagine the songs without uh, the performance in some ways, mm -hmm. which may speak to your background in theater. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, well, thank you for that. But, you know, even when I write the track, sometimes I, I, I get obsessed with the performance right away in the writing. Yeah. A song like Doesn't Matter, for example, uh, that I wrote, I immediately thought it would be a duet with a, with a dancer. And so thinking of it right away in the writing made me finish the song in a certain way. So there is a sense of, for me, the performance is, uh, is a moment of truth also. So it's true that, yeah, I love, I love recording. So, so in but, one way, then the video is an actualization of what you were thinking of when you were writing it, yeah. right? Yeah. As a, as a dance duet. Yeah, exactly. The video is really beautiful. Thank you. Um, so the choreography, the presentation of your so uh, songs and your shows in the past have been really powerful. Uh, uh, there's a song on the album that was inspired by an actual painting, a Francisco mm. Goyo painting. Can you talk a bit about the intersection of music and art and fine art? I think I think there is a sense of um, dialogue that is constant to me, and it comes from theatre. Because I, because before I was even thinking of being a singer, I wanted to be a stage director, and there was a way to not choose between many disciplines and like visual arts and dance and uh, and words and music. And there was a sense of everything was bleeding into uh, disciplines were bleeding into each other and actually solidifying themselves even more. And there is a sense of um, of that when I do write music. I mean, the music is at the core because I discovered the music writing as a fantastic light and a way to relate and to talk that was wonderful in my life. And it's, 
and it stays on its own if I want. But there is a sense of, uh, yeah, a song like Goya Soda, for example, was heavily, you know, inspired by that painting of Goya, uh, which is Saturn, Saturn eating his own children. That is a freaky painting, by it's the way. It's a freaky painting. But also a painting that can evolve with you and resonates with you for many different reasons. If you go mad at some point, you can see madness. Oh, for sure. <laughs> if, you, if you're craving with lust, you can see, you can see dangerous lust in it. And at, at that point in my life, that Goya painting was like, the, made me think of how you can get crazy out of desire and you don't understand that desire. And it, you know, it pours out of you and you're like just helpless. Yeah, that's the animal in us. Exactly, yeah. You know, it takes over the rationale. Yeah. Um, you've attributed a lot of, uh, of your confidence over the last, you know, six years or so since making music and, and evolving as an artist. Uh, you attribute a lot of that con- confidence that you've gained to your music that's then, you, you said something about bringing the adrenaline of your live shows into your personal life. Mm. Um, what is it about music that inspires that, sort of energy to carry over into other aspects of life? I think the huge shift in my life when music uh, arrived, <laughs> she arrived by the door, was uh, I went back into my body a bit and I got connected to, you know, everything related to gut, like gut feelings, feelings, like the uh, how to express them, how to not be scared by them. Um, it helped me also like settle in my body a bit more. There was a sense of like newfound confidence and hope was linked to music as a way to, you know, settle a bit more in my muscles and actually stop fearing the disappearance and uh, not being too much. And uh, so I don't know, there is, there is, music is so much about instinct also. For, for example, the songs that end up on the album, even though I love building words around songs and, and so it involves at some point me thinking of it. The songs themselves, the writing, it's something mysterious and actually heavily subconscious. And this is probably the only thing I don't really master or think of in my life, which is a great thing also. There is a sense of abandon. And I think also the, the erotism of the second album and the looseness and the newfound uh, sensuality has a lot to do with abandon. Because I can surrender to the music and I just learned a bit more how to surrender. And how you can be powerful by surrendering i don't know there is a sense of yeah yeah you can hear that especially in the the lead track on the album yeah there's there's definitely a sense of uh surrender in, in that song yeah. in, in a in sort of a i don't know there's a calm confidence to to it as well wow um I, so you're talking about the lyrics maybe feeling a little more mysterious to you um or you're just kind of channeling them mm. but uh this kind of relates to uh a question i wanted to ask relative to making the album because you produce the album yourself yeah and and you you know you really have a strong vision for how you want the presentation of the music to be mm. so um do you consider yourself like a perfectionist <laughs> yes <laughs> but it's not necessarily i mean yeah but at the same time music is a way to uh slightly uh disrupt that because because uh because there are many ways to work on perfection and actually I think we were talking about surrendering for example I don't I don't believe that I think my my uh, perfectionism is a bit cured by the um, live element of music I mean I think sometimes perfection in music is just like perfect uh, sincere interpretation and not like a 
you know, pitch yeah. perfect or like perfectly uh, mastered. So there is a constant back and forth in between wanting to things to be perfect. And at the same time, you know that, you know, sometimes reaching perfection is just precisely forgetting about it. So it's, so yes, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, well, there's still, um, you know, that element of the, uh, the shows and the songs have a life of their own where they're never yeah. in, in, in the live element yeah. um, where you're very much in the moment and yeah. uh, responding to the moment as it's happening. I've seen that in, in your shows. Um, so tell me about making the new album. Mm. So, so the first album really probably took over your life for a, a long period of time yeah. as it you know, was released in France, then in the UK, then worldwide. Yeah, it was three solid years, I think, yeah. Um, did you did you write during that time, or did you just stop and then sort of start again? And is that sort of how the concept of evolving mm. into Chris mm. happened? Actually, it was I, I started to write a bit uh, during the end of the first tour, um, but it was a bit scattered and it was a bit like you know um, uh, drafts. But I was, for example, a song like "Girlfriend." I wrote it in Oslo because I was actually uh, touring in Oslo at that time, and I was just I was having a really frustrating day about feeling like trapped again in, in conceptions of, of uh, what a girl is supposed to be and how she's supposed to behave. And I just wrote that track like really fast and I was like, oh. And I, and I actually used this really funky energy to write that track and I was like, that's, you know, that's a hint. This something, this is not something I overthought. But then I was like, that's a possible direction for the second album. And I slowly started to think of Chris also. But people were calling me Chris more and more so on yeah. tour. And I, and I was strangely empowered by it. So I just, sometimes I go just where I feel good. So Chris made me feel good. I was like, I like people to call me Chris. I like it. Yeah. It feels, feels good. The, the music feels great. And, and there's definitely some touchstones of 80s sounds. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. Yep. Uh, I hear a lot of uh, Prince 1999 era, like Dance Music, Sex Romance, that song, Mm -hmm. or Controversy era. But you mentioned um, that that the song $5 wasn't in part inspired by Springsteen. Yeah. And and there seemed, there musically is maybe a a leap there. So I wanted to ask about (laughs) that inspiration. I know when I say that, often people are like, hmm? yeah, I don't know if it's... Maybe it's just me that is making a connection and and that might be okay. But I was listening a lot, actually, to Springsteen at some point when I was writing a record because I'm obsessed with... I mean, one of my best kinks is the perfect melody, how loose and perfect and simple it is. And I think Bruce Springsteen has fantastic melodies that can be really accessible, uh, that can bear a story... But at the same time, they are just limpid like water. I mean, there is a sense of, I don't know, the, the songwriting is so great. Yeah, it's not struggling with uh, no. itself. No, there is, it feels like, a, it feels like it, if we would be translated into dancing, like a perfect gesture that feels really um, earnest. So I'm like, I was listening to a lot of Springsteen. And I was like, oh man, I wish I could achieve that sense of, you know, um, grace, uh, graceful gesture. And I was listening to songs like I'm on Fire and, uh, and Bobby Jean. And, and I don't know, and when I wrote... it made me, but I don't know if it's obvious, but I was kind of thinking of how you can tell a story that is both really tender and melancholic with a songwriting that can be limpid like that. But I don't know if it's obvious just for me, but I was kind of inspired by that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm on fire. I can definitely hear that. It's such a great song. Do you mind playing $5? I will with pleasure. (laughs) 
wanted some more And if this guidance is way too close to the shore And if I could just push this to choke on the wall And if after the void is somewhere else to fall Forget I said it I saw you look white It's stinging the toe Bends on the vine Chris, live on the afternoon show here on KEXP, 90.3 FM in Seattle, worldwide, kexp.org. The song Doesn't Matter, $5 right before that. It doesn't matter. There's kind of an undercurrent of sadness in that song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of pain in it as well. Yeah. It was a bit, it's a bit, it was a bit cathartic to write that one. Actually, um, I remember very well the state of mind in which uh, I was when I wrote that track and I was not. Not in a good I was place. sad. But but it was interesting also because I did want to exercise that sadness, but I didn't want to just uh, lay in it. I, I kind of wanted to uh, use it as a fuel. So I was like, what if I, I started to work actually on a quite aggressive beat um, with, with this bass line. And it was so like um, solid as a as a bone structure, mm-hmm. it felt a bit like uh, tough. And I was like, okay, now I can probably be really sad in it. And I was uh, working on the idea of uh, a stream of consciousness that could break at some point and open in like a pure uh, expression of real sadness. But it's weird because there is a weird sense of hope that comes along in the end of the song. And some people I've been talking to, especially uh, people who just listen to the music and really don't pay attention to my lyrics, who were like, oh, this is a beautiful love song. So I was like, that's interesting. But, you know, that's probably the, the strength of the writing of a song. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a resignation in the song as well. Yeah. Um, you know, your, your career as, a, as an artist so far has been one that's been very transformative for you. Yeah. Uh, as an individual. Could you talk a little bit about the transformative power of music 
and and maybe how it relates also to to listeners like can you put yourself in the place of being a music fan of course actually i mean even now like everything i'm kind of doing it comes from a place of uh, also a music fan like because like because i remember I w- we were talking at some point about hints of more freedom and hints of something is possible for me also and um, I remember having those hints myself watching some performers like Michael Jackson, like Bowie, like Prince and or like Laurie Anderson that were just giving me hints of something that was I- extremely appealing to me. Um, um, and I think, I mean, for me, when I do think about the transformative power of music, there is a, an idea that nothing is really... You can you can reinvent yourself. There is a force of reinvention, especially in pop music where it's so much about also emphasized theater to, to recreate yourself or choose your family or pres- or, or um, rectify something. Or There is a sense of justice in the pop writing some, sometimes that was really appealing to me. Um, and I'm constantly doing that myself to heal or to reinvent. I mean, and I still do have that relationship to music that feels quite genuine, almost a bit, you know, I mean, it has to be like really cheesy in a way. Um, I, I need to write a pop song because I need that... Uh, healing and transformation but, and I think it's just uh, pushing a bit further the logic of, of someone who hears a pop track and it heals also he can strangely heal yeah it really does and I know that uh, from the listener's perspective and, and your music in particular and I think it, in part because it's very honest and incredibly direct well that's, uh, that's a, thank you for saying that to me and, and when you talk about doesn't matter you, you know you working with uh, a lot of sadness but wanting to move that energy a- along not just yeah. Yeah. Sing about it, but move it uh, and transform that. I know uh, listeners feel that way about your music, that it's incredibly inspiring uh, well. and also provides uh, strength and a sense of connection that people need. So thank you for that. Well, I'm going to blush like my jacket. <laughs> That's wonder- that would be wonderful. I'm trying to relate mostly, so it, it's good that you say that to yeah. me. Thank you. It is Chris live on KXP. Do you mind introducing the band? I don't. I think they deserve it. So, starting with Jeremy, guitarist and clavierist. Ashley, from the UK, musician extraordinaire. Carl, doing the bass and the keyboard also, and the bass, from the UK also. And uh, you don't see them, but there is Bastien and Julien who just take care of the sound also. Thank you all for being here. Mm-hmm. It is Chris live on KEXP. Huge thanks to our crew as well, Jim, Justin, Alia, uh, Jake, Kevin Suggs, David Schilling. Also, uh, thanks to all the listeners and donors who make in-studios like this possible. It's KEXP, listener-powered radio.